I think I saw a traffic jam there in the back <laughs> as they were heading back. You know, this is very, this is very, very important today. I know we've covered some of this before, but uh, been looking at it for a couple of weeks now. But today we want to talk about joy, and we want to talk about it in a way it's very important. See, joy is theological. Joy is something that you believe because of what God has done. The, the definition for joy is found in your notes, if you'll take your notes out, and it's also on the screen. But the definition for joy, just as a, as a quick reminder, joy, joy is a wonderful feeling. Joy is a wonderful feeling produced by the Holy Spirit. Joy is a wonderful feeling produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. So joy is something that is produced by the Spirit in us who have a relationship with God through Christ. And this joy that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit is something that doesn't stop. It doesn't uh, have anything that keeps it from working or growing. It should continue to grow for the duration of our lives. But it has a couple of, a couple of things that have, you have to remember. Number one, if you grieve the Holy Spirit, then you grieve the work of joy. Or if you quench the Holy Spirit, if you cut off the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to cut off the flow of joy in your life. So today, I wanted to spend some time talking to you today and next week as well, but today about, about this joy and how this joy is something that comes from your understanding and your relationship with Jesus Christ. So let me say this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Focus on what God has done and not what man can do. Focus on what God has done, not what man can do. Don't focus on all the what-ifs. Don't focus on all of the problems. There's plenty of those. In fact, Jesus himself, you remember he said in John to his disciples, he said, there's plenty of trouble for just today, for just today. So, so don't be looking to tomorrow and adding more problems on top of problems. There's enough trouble for today. And Jesus said, I have overcome today. I've overcome today. Of course, in that context, he talks about giving us his peace. And he talks about how he's overcome the world already. So... I want you to focus on what he has done. So as we look at these points today, remember, this is what he's done. This is what you need to focus on. You need to let the Spirit of God flow through your life in order to build up these truths and these realities. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Let him have his work and his way in your life. The first one is probably the most important of all that we've covered so far my life is focused on Jesus Christ. My life is focused on Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he said the following. He said, for to me to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. Now, prior to that, Paul says, I'm kind of in this, this battle between whether I go to heaven or stay here with you guys. I like you guys a lot, but I like Jesus more. So Paul was kind of stuck in this imbalanced place. Later on, afterwards, he says, I've decided I'm staying, but not for me. I'm staying for you. I'd rather go. I'd rather go. And I don't, I don't want to be in any way any kind of a uh, indulgent or anything like that or create any kind of a cloud over anything. But, you know, when, you're, when your life is Christ, being with Christ is the greatest joy of your life. And in fact, the Apostle Paul loved Jesus more than he loved anything. And we too need to love Jesus more than we love anything or anyone. People are important, but not as important as, as Jesus is. So Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. In other words, my whole life, every single day is living for Christ. Living for Christ. And then he says, to die is gain, because then I'm permanently in the presence of my Savior. I'm with him all the time. It's a great thing. I remember last year, uh, during the course of my four strokes that I had, uh, a couple of times I was a goner. Seriously, I was not here. I was gone. And I didn't know if I was coming back, and, and uh, Ruth didn't know if I was coming back, and none of us knew if I was coming back, but I'm here, so I guess, you know, I came back. Anyway, but my, my point was that I had no, at that time, I had no sense of concern about dying. Dying was not a problem. Dying was not an issue for me because death was only another opportunity that would further my relationship with my Christ. Paul felt the same way. To live is Christ, but to die, he said, is gain, great gain. In fact, Paul lived this way, taught this way. He spent his whole life talking about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 17, in the paraphrase of the voice, he says this, This is one of the reasons I sent Timothy to be with you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. Paul led Timothy to Christ, help him grow up and so on. He says his mission is to remind you of the way I experience life in the anointed. Or in, in, a, in the translations it says, to share with you how I live my life in Christ. How I live my life in Christ. And then he says, in all the churches everywhere I go, I teach the same lessons the same way and I live out those lessons. So another, Paul, Paul says, I sent Timothy to you because Timothy is going to tell you how I lived and how I lived is also how I teach. How I teach is also how I live, how I'm going to die. He said there's, there's no difference in any of that. So his life is focused on Jesus Christ. If you wake up in the morning and you'll have as your focus your life living for Christ, you'll experience that joy in your, in your life. It will flow. It will become greater and greater. The other thing that I really like that I want to encourage us to try and do is, number two, my greetings. My greetings are centered around Jesus. <coughs> my greetings. Now, this might seem a little bit interesting or fun for some of you, but uh, it's something I'd like to see us try. 
the word the word that's used for greetings uh, by by Jesus in Matthew 28 verse 9 is actually the word rejoice. It's kaerte. When Jesus came and stopped them from going back and telling the people that he had risen from the dead because he'd risen from the dead, he stopped them and he said, Kayerte, rejoice. When they got together, they sent a letter to all the churches. In the letter, they said also again, greetings, but they really meant Cairo, rejoice, rejoicing. Or in John, 3 John 3, we'll look at all three of these in a minute, but there again, Paul says, I, John says, I rejoiced Kayerte greatly when the brothers came and testified. So what I'd like to do is to encourage you to start using that word in your greetings with one another. So maybe, maybe on Sundays when you walk in, instead of saying hi or how are you or what's happening or what's up or what's down or whatever phrase you choose, maybe we'll start using rejoice. 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 Rejoicing is what we should be doing. Anyway, in Matthew 28, verse 9, as they went to tell his disciples Jesus rose from the dead, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice, Caerte. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So they said, Rejoice, and everybody came and they worshipped him and they grabbed him by the feet. In Acts chapter 15, and verse 23, the Jerusalem council got together and they wanted to respond to some of the issues that the Gentiles had and some of the concerns that they shared with the church in Jerusalem. And in response to that, they wrote a letter. And in the letter they said, this is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Well, greetings, what they really meant, that's the word Cairo, which is rejoicing. Rejoicing. So we too can spend time again rejoicing, rejoicing together. Or in 3 John chapter 3, in Mounts. Mounts, by the way, is an interesting, uh, interesting, it's not a paraphrase, it's an interesting translation because it gives you the actual Greek right there with the actual English. Anyway, he says, I rejoiced, there again, Kayerte, I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, as indeed you do walk in the truth. Again, there's that word rejoiced, greeting. So his greetings and our greetings were about this joy thing, rejoicing. Uh, you know, when you were a kid or when, when you first became a Christian, some people said joy stands for three things. They would say Jesus, others, and you. Jesus first, others, and you last. Well, joy is far bigger and greater than that. But it will, it will definitely do to include that. Thirdly, today it's really critical to understand that, that joy is a response to the character of God. Joy is a response to the character of God. Now, I'm going to say a couple of things in this section that may come as a surprise to you. Uh, have you ever, ever heard people talk about the fact that God is in control? God has everything under control? God is a God who is sovereign. God is a God who is under control. 
God is a God who controls all things. However, let's be real, real honest. And let's be clear because we want to be biblical about our understanding. Just because we say God is in control and God has done so many wonderful things, we don't mean that God controls every single detail of our lives. God doesn't control when there's incest. God doesn't have control when there's rape. God, doesn't, God is not in control when there's murder. God is not in control of those things. Human, humanness comes into play in those things. But you have to remember this. The principles of the Bible are clear that number one, in Genesis 50 and verse 20, just like they did with Joseph, Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. So just as Joseph could say, you meant it for evil, it was your intent to destroy my life. It was your intent to get rid of me. That's why you threw me in the pit. And then they came and you sold me. You sold me into Egypt, into slavery, and all the other things. And Joseph says, you know what? You meant it for evil, but God meant that. Turned it all around. Turned it all around for good. So you might be in a real tough spot today. You might be facing lots of trouble right now, difficulties and challenges. Remember this. Yesterday's problems are not guaranteed for tomorrow. God can be trusted for tomorrow. Trust his grace and not your problems. Or Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. This is really a great verse, one that needs to be remembered. He says, This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his good, glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So God will not only take care of Paul, but he will provide you with all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What, is, what does that teach us? It teaches us that he has our future in mind. He knows what we need tomorrow. He knows how to provide for tomorrow's needs. And to kind of amplify on that, this is really a, a great truth in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. And then he says, be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Be content with what you have. So the key there is contentment. And without contentment, there's a lot of real difficulty within the soul. When you're content with what you have, you find great peace in your own heart. Again, most of us have memorized this before, but in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul says, we know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. See, this is a theological issue, joy is. Joy is a matter of focusing on these truths. I know that God works all things together for good. 
that produces joy in my heart because even though I might be going through a rough time now, there's an anticipation of the joy that will follow and the stuff that will come later on because he's promised to take care of me and he will do it. And then one of my one of my favorite portions of, of scripture, which uh, helps us understand a lot, is Romans chapter nine. In Romans chapter nine, verses twenty one to twenty four, he says, "When a potter makes jars out of clay, right? Doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay?" to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? God can use whatever he wants. He can take that, that clay and make jars of different kinds of different purpose. In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, those who are destined for destruction. So God is extremely careful. He says he does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So you just have to take a moment and pause and you have to say, who is the potter? Who is the clay? He's the potter, we're the clay. So he can take one of our lives and use it for a real special vase. And he can take some of the rest of us and use us for really incredible trash cans. It's his business. It's his business. But the reason this is so important is because as you and I think of the biblical aspect of these truths, Joy is a theological issue. So when you realize that he is the potter and you're the clay, when you as the clay rejoice in whatever the potter decides to make of you, it takes the sting out of a lot of stuff. You don't have to be jealous. You don't have to have to be angry. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to think as though somehow God left you out of the equation. He didn't bless you enough. He didn't give you what you deserve. He didn't blah, blah, blah. Well, he may not have. He didn't have to. The thing is, are you content with where you are? Are you content to be what God made you to be? His character determines all of these things. His character is dependable. He will provide for you in the future for your needs then. His character is trustworthy he is the potter, we're the clay. He makes us the way he wants us to be. And the best way to experience this is to rejoice in the handiwork of God. Don't fight against it. Don't fight against it, rejoice in it. So the character of God is critical and the more you find yourself rejoicing in response to his character, guess what? the more joy you will have. If you fight the character of God, the less joy you'll have. I know it sounds kind of simple. It's not simplistic. 
But it is simple. It does work. Number four, my joy is found in the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. only have one verse here, but it's really powerful. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The Bible says, He made the one who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, the great exchange is beyond compare. On your worst day, guess what? On your worst day, you are the righteousness of God. On the day when everything's falling apart, on the day when everything is just completely destroyed, you have to realize, on that day, I am forgiven, I am righteous in the eyes of God. It's so important because of his finished work on the cross. So my focus is there. My joy is found there. On my best day, I'm also his righteousness, his finished work. So your best day, your worst day, your in-between days, those are all good days. Those are all good days. There's no days to make you down to make you drudgery, to make you disappointed, none of those. And then finally, again, as I said, this is a study and a remembrance that joy is a theological issue. It's a biblical issue. It is an issue of what you believe about who God is. So we're going to take some time and look at some of these verses here. My joy is based on the blessings of God. The blessings of God. First of all, there's a bunch of verses and we're going to kind of divvy these up if we can. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So just pause for a minute and realize, I have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Got it? We can say amen. We can go home now. It's all done. This is it. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, he has blessed us with those. They are ours. Focus on them. And he gives a whole list of what they are, and we're going to look at those. In verse 4, he says, just as he chose us, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. When did he chose us? He chose us before the foundation of the world. Before he created the world, he chose us in Christ. Before he made this world, he decided to send a Savior because he knew that would be necessary. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. So again, the blessings of God. When you think about joy, joy comes from recognizing I have been chosen. I remember, <coughs> excuse me, I remember when I was growing up, you know, playing pickup basketball, playing pickup anything. I just loved all kinds of sports and playing and and uh, I was always too young to be, you know, the first one chosen. So 
I'd go hang out and they'd pick me up, you know, little kid come on off the bench, you know, and, and play. And, and I, I'd, I just have a blast. I loved it so much playing with the, with the high schoolers when I was in, when I was just, just a little kid. Uh, anyway, I was chosen regularly because I, I don't know, I, I couldn't jump very high at that time, but I, I knew how to use my body and how to wiggle and run. And I, I got so many rebounds, the shortest kid at that time. Just because I knew where to be, where to, where to maneuver the, my body, where to push, how not to push, you know. Push them hard enough so they get out of the way, but not so I get called for fouls. Anyway, all that kind of stuff. But my, my, point, is, my point is being chosen is a special deal. Being chosen is a special deal. But there's nothing greater nor more special than being chosen by Almighty God. Amen. You've been chosen by Almighty God. When? Before the foundation of the world. Remember that. Remember that. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, says, In him, in love rather, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. Here's the second thing to remember as far as blessings are concerned. He predestined us to adoption as sons. You are not only adopted as his child, you have been adopted to be his full-fledged sons, to receive all of the blessings, all of the inheritance, everything through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. A couple of things here that are just expanding on this blessing. The blessing of God the Father. He chose me. He predestined me in adoption. He predestined me freely bestowing on me in the beloved all of these things. That is an amazing, amazing truth. I don't know about you, but when I grew, grew up, and uh, up until I was 17, when I personally received Christ as my Savior, prior to that, I knew all the details, but I didn't know the Lord. And I, I considered myself um, a troublemaker. And I was always always creating conflicts for everybody. Conflicts for my teachers, conflicts for my class members. I was just always in trouble, although I always found a way to get out of it. It was amazing how, how that all worked. But uh, my dad was the principal, and the teacher would send me to the principal to be disciplined, and I'd go knock on my dad's door in his office, and he'd say, come in. And I'd say, Dad, how you doing? He said, great, how are you? I said, I'm doing fine, just thought I'd say hi. And he'd say, hi. I'll say, see you later. <laughs> I don't know how many times I did that until my father realized, wait a minute. Something's going on. What did you do wrong? Oh, I aggravated, I bothered, I did this, I did that. Don't do that. In fact, I remember one time the, the vice principal, Sakyan, she was, nobody wanted to mess with her. Nobody, because... I mean, she was just vicious, you know. 
And so they'd send me to her sometimes and I'd go into her office and she had, in the front office, she had secretaries, all kinds of people. And then her office was in the back. I'd walk in there and, and she'd come out of her office and meet me and she'd say, Robert Irvine, you've been sent to me. Get in my office. Just as mean as could be, you know. And I'd walk in the office. The first time it happened, I was scared to death. But I closed the door behind me and she goes, how are you, Bobby June? You got to understand Persian culture. You know, Bobby June is very, uh, very special. Anyway, so I'd sit down. We have tea and talk and stuff, and then I go back to class, and everything was all fine. And I guess went back to causing more trouble. <laughs> so, the beauty of this is that, in spite of your character, in spite of what you were, in spite of what you've done, in spite of where you've been, in spite of your whole history, your whole past. In spite of your rap sheet before God, God doesn't consider that rap sheet at all. He welcomes you. He blesses you with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. We can hardly comprehend that. He's such a gracious and a wonderful God. Here's another one, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Listen to this. He chose us before the foundation of the world so that we'd be holy. He predestined us in adoption. He freely bestowed us all these things in Christ. He re- gave us redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. There's nothing richer than his grace. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, I was, as at my age, I was thinking it might be a good idea for me to see if there's any gold around that I could somehow figure out how to buy, you know, with the way everything is. Anyway, but here I don't have what it takes. And he says he's given it to me freely. He's blessed me with the forgiveness of my trespasses. How many of my sins has God forgiven? All of them. In Colossians, he says, he's forgiven us all our transgressions. Every single one of them. Past, present, and future. There's not a one of them that the evil one can bring up against you in heaven and say, yes, but God, what about this? Or what about that? What about the other thing? God is taking care of all of it in Christ, giving it all to you. In fact, I can just imagine, uh, I know it's my imagination, but I could imagine Satan coming and trying to make a case, you know, for us to get us in trouble before God. And God stats, stands there and then our, our lawyer, Jesus, yeah. speaks on our behalf and he says, he says, I got that one. Yeah. I got that one. I got that one. I got that one. In fact, whatever he brings up, I've got it. I took care of it already. I paid the price on the cross. So he's forgiven me all of my transgressions. Man, what a great God we have. Here's another one, Ephesians 1, 8 to 10. He says, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him 
before we go on to verse 10, listen, there's no reason, there's no reason, none whatsoever, that God should have taken the time, nor should he be concerned about sharing with us his personal, his personal intimate promises and blessings. But he does. He made known to us. He made known. He showed us. He told us about these things according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus makes known to us the ministry, the mystery rather of his will. I'll tell you, it's amazing to me that God chooses to love me. It's amazing that he chooses to forgive me. It's amazing that he chooses to walk with me. It, it is amazing to me that he chooses to allow me to serve him. It is amazing that he chooses to forgive all of my sins. It is phenomenal to me to, to realize that he has prepared heaven for me. And the joy that's set before me allows me to endure this other garbage here because it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. That's next week. Then there's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. Man, we have obtained an inheritance. What kind of an inheritance have we obtained? Well, everything that the Son has coming to him, we have coming to us. That's why the Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Man, it just blows you away. What an incredible God we have. He works all these things after the counsel of his will. I said earlier, I'll say it again. Don't let yesterday's problems impact tomorrow's blessings. As you look at this today, remember, remember, joy is theological. Joy is a matter of focusing on the truth, focusing on what's right, focusing on what he's promised, focusing on what he's going to do. And that's not all. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, <coughs> He says, in him, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, being sealed by the Holy Spirit is a real special thing. It, it's, it's describing for us how we have been set apart. In those days, in the old days, they used to write letters, you know, people of real importance. And they would take the outside and they would fold it down. They'd put some wax on there. And then they would take the ring of their, of their kingship or whatever and they would press it on in order to seal that letter shut with their insignia. Well, when it comes to your life, when it comes to my life, when it comes to anybody else who trusts Christ, 
God takes the Holy Spirit and he seals us. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. That means that that's not to be opened up until it arrives. Until it arrives in heaven, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until we get there. That's your boarding pass. You don't have to go through TSA or any of that. No, you can go the quick way. <laughs> he says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth of the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with him, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So not only does that seal get you into heaven, that seal also determines for you the pledge, the guarantee of God's promises to you. All the things that God has promised, everything that he's promised that he would do, that he has done, and that he's planning to do for you. Now, I don't know about you, but there's plenty of stuff to have joy about. Plenty. So the next time you find yourself focusing on that little tiny area of your life that's miserable, stop. And I'm not, I'm not saying that life doesn't get miserable sometimes. It does. It gets hard, it gets difficult, it gets challenging. During those times, think about these things. And let the Spirit flow. Let the Holy Spirit build in your life that joy, that anticipation, and that looking forwardness to the things that are yet in store for you. All of this, all this we've talked about today is dependent upon a couple of things. Number one, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to get it. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't get any of this. If you know Christ as your Savior, you get the whole package. I mean, this is better than Prime. You just order it, it comes. Because he's blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So, so recognize that. You need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ. Secondly, you got to not, you have to not grieve the Holy Spirit. You have to not disappoint the Holy Spirit. You have to not squelch or push down the work of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you have to not quench the Holy Spirit, which is to cut off the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. Those are things you have to do and not do. And sin will always, always cut away at joy. So, as soon as you find yourself in sin, quickly confess it. The quicker you confess, the quicker you restore yourself to joy. So, I ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If not, it's really simple. The beauty of the Scriptures is that they're very, very clear and they're very simple. They're not simplistic. They're very simple to understand. There's no small print when it comes to God. God doesn't give us all the blessings in 16 point and then in 8 point tell you all the stuff you got to do. There aren't any of those. It's all up front. 
He gave everything for you. All you have to do is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So you need Jesus if you don't have Jesus. Secondly, if you've been grieving the Holy Spirit by doing stuff that just really is upsetting to the, to the Holy Spirit, you need to stop that. If you've been quenching the Holy Spirit, not allowing him to flow, you got to stop that. If you've got sin in your life, you need to confess that. There are things that you can do. Very simple. All of them are choices that you make in response to the truth, to the stuff we've been talking about. And my prayer is that all of us will come back to the very first point that we started with tonight, and that is our lives our lives are focused on Jesus Christ. So I pray that you can leave here this morning and you can say, you know what, for me to live is Christ and I'm hanging around for you. I'm staying because of you. You need me. You need me, so I'm going to give to you that which God has given to me. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for the truths in your word. We ask you to use your word to teach us, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. We pray your blessing, Father, on each one. We want to thank you and even pray, Father, now that if there's anyone here that needs Jesus Christ as Savior, that they'll receive Christ as Savior. Simply praying and saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. I confess my sins. I trust Jesus. There's some here today that have been grieving the Holy Spirit. Lord, they just need to confess it. They need to just simply say, I'm going to not go on this way. Some here have quenched the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't even have opportunity to speak to them because they're so, so busy and so occupied. Father, help them to open up the flow of your spirit. And some because of sin. We just pray, Father, for each one of them that find themselves with these needs, that they would receive Christ, yield to the spirit, not quench the spirit, and confess their sin. Father, may each one of us do this, and as a result, Father, may we find ourselves being filled up more and more and more with this wonderful feeling in the soul. This thing that we call joy in Jesus' name.